0: Classification is at the heart of medicine and is particularly important for triage because it allows clinicians to assign degrees of urgency and order of treatment. But when clinicians rely too heavily on mutually exclusive categories that don't correspond to patients' complex experiences and identities, care can be suboptimal or even harmful. I'm Stephen Marzi, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Daphna Strumsa, a fellow in the National Clinician Scholars Program, and a clinical lecturer in obstetrics and gynecology at the University of Michigan. As part of the journal's Case Studies in Social Medicine series, Dr. Strumsa has co-authored a perspective article on classification and its limitations. Dr. Strumsa, in your article you describe the case of a transgender man who wasn't triaged appropriately because a nurse didn't understand that he didn't fit neatly into the binary male-female classification system. So can you explain the importance of classification in medicine and its role in that patient's care?
1: So social scientists have studied how people use classification to understand the world by dividing it into digestible, often binary, categories. It's, a classification is everywhere. It helps us organize our messy realities and reduce ambiguity and think through complex information medically to help us make decisions when we're inundated with rich information. So classification can be incredibly useful and a useful or a powerful tool for diagnosis. The diagnostic process itself is one of classification, whether we use the ICD or the DSM classificatory system. And it can keep us safe or from harming our patients by simplifying decision making and provides us with algorithmic options. But sometimes classifications, including those of race and sex, fail to capture the complexity of our patients and prevent us from taking the best course of action. So in our case, for our patient, the binary sex system for our patient or for other transgender or intersex people fail to capture the rich information about their sex. So what we think of as "quote unquote" biological sex is actually multiple characteristics. Many of them are non-binary, such as hormonal milieu. And in the case of our patient, Sam was rightly classified as a man based on his identity and his legal sex. And his appearance was typically that—the one that we think of as typically male or masculine—but Putting him in the mailbox meant that he wasn't treated as an urgent case of abdominal pain in pregnancy. Similarly, for example, his elevated blood pressure was then treated as untreated essential hypertension rather than hypertensive disorder of pregnancy, severely elevated blood pressure in pregnancy, which is an altogether different classification and warrants a different treatment algorithm.
0: What are some other examples of implicit classification algorithms used in healthcare that could inadvertently harm patients?
1: Much of the classification that we use in healthcare is explicit. For example, as you mentioned, the work of triage, of defining urgency of a medical condition and which practitioner should evaluate and treat patients. But for many of our other classifications, while we explicitly use them, we often don't acknowledge the power that that classification has on the care we give. A classic example is race. Over the last few decades, understanding the social implications of race in the United States, we've come to recognize the importance and the effects of race on the health of our patients and we're starting to gain language and tools to help us address the ways that implicit bias affects the treatment patients receive depending on the race. However, while we acknowledge the real and deep implications race has on people's lives and their health and their well-being and the way we treat them, it's important that we remain cognizant of how racial categories are actually not objective biological truths, but rather they're constructed by and in a social world. And so Racial classification can fail to capture the complex realities of people's lives and identities. For example, when we think about disease conditions that affect people of a certain racial or ethnic group, such as cystic fibrosis in northern European or Ashkenazi Jewish populations, We don't want that to impede us from thinking about cystic fibrosis in someone, a child of a mixed-race background, who has dark skin but a parent of European background and could have cystic fibrosis nevertheless.
0: Do you think the problem with classification is more a function of classification itself or of clinicians' application of it that's too rigid?
1: problem of classification is both with classificatory systems themselves that are usually suboptimal as well as how individual clinicians and the healthcare system as a whole apply these classifications. So certainly any classification system by definition will simplify and hence oversimplify a complex world and we're trying to simplify, but the rich realities often won't fit neatly into the categories we've created. The individual clinician, of course, can fail to recognize that that's what we're doing and that's what we're using. And so it's important that we keep in mind that when we're thinking about an identity classification or a medical classification, that is what we're doing so that we can Try to identify those people who fall into what we call classificatory cracks, those situations that were not included or not specified in the classificatory system. And additionally, as we create healthcare systems, we should try to identify and plan for where these classifications fail and how we apply them not only individually but systemically.
0: In a case like the one you describe, you also in the article specifically propose creating appropriate classifications for transgender people. So how can clinicians ensure that they provide the best quality care for transgender patients even if more appropriate classifications haven't yet been implemented?
1: The most important step with addressing Any classification issue is to, first of all, recognize the places in which we rely on classification and to pay attention to the places in which our assumptions, our algorithms, our decisions are relying on classification. And then that enables us to recognize those classificatory cracks and to address them. Specifically, with transgender and non-binary patients, the first step we need to do is to recognize that our system has failed transgender patients and to make sure we're treating individual transgender and non-binary people with respect. From there, we can also think about and acknowledge the ways that transgender people have faced many structural barriers to care and still do, most importantly, medicine itself has pathologized gender diverse identities and many transgender patients have negative interactions with the healthcare system. This doesn't necessarily mean that any single individual provider is transphobic, although that certainly does still happen, but that the healthcare system as a whole is structured in ways that don't fit the needs of transgender people and all this leads to stigmatization and poor health outcomes. So Our role as healthcare providers is both to take responsibility for our own education regarding the healthcare needs of trans people and to advocate for our patients on a systemic level. For example, vis-a-vis the way insurance policies exclude the transgender identities or exclude transgender-related care or the ways that electronic medical records can adjust their systems to address the needs of transgender and non-binary people. While we do that, create new categories to allow transgender people to be legible and fully incorporated into our care schema. So, for example, if we start using a language that is more inclusive, for example, talking about pregnant people rather than pregnant women only, then we're more likely to identify people like Sam as pregnant when they come in pregnant and to provide them with the care they need and deserve.
0: Finally, and more generally, are there strategies that physicians can use to rely less heavily on strict classification systems? Are there procedural and structural safeguards that physicians can think about?
1: So the first step that we need to do is again to recognize the ways in which we use classification. And that will enable us to address the places in which we're relying on classification and it may not be appropriate or adequate for the particular instance. Once we've recognized this, we can create clinical trainings to think kind of more broadly about people outside of these boxes that we've created and to use procedural and structural safeguards such as advocating for electronic medical record systems with more flexibility To allow, for example, in the case of sex, allow for distinct charting of legal sex from sex assigned at birth, from an organ inventory that can help us better identify what care any individual needs, regardless of what sex category they fall under. So, for example, since our case, we've updated our emergency room algorithms to address for people who may be pregnant who are not women. We've addressed our electronic medical record. We've instituted trainings both in the emergency room and system-wide to be able to better identify the needs of a broader variety of patients.
0: Thank you, Dr. Strumse.